Last week, we talked about hope. And hope is this overarching expectation that we have with the coming of Jesus. And we said that that hope really means a confident expectation of the future that gives us energy today. And, And one of those confident expectations that we have at the arrival of Jesus is something we call peace. And we'll be talking about peace today. What is peace? And why do we long for it? That's what we'll be talking about. So if you'd pray with me, we'll ask God to be with us as we study His Word. Father, we thank You for this chance to come together to consider the things of God, to consider the person and work of Jesus, to consider the gospel of redemptive grace. We thank You that that we have this place, that we have this community. Uh, Lord, I thank You for bringing anyone here today that uh, is new, that might be looking for family and connection. We hope tonight can be a piece of that, that they might experience it in part, and then find ways to get connected with us so that they might experience it more fully as the weeks and months go on. We pray all of this and, and much more in the name of Jesus. Amen. What do you know about that good old holiday cheer? You know, that ho- you got to love the good old holiday cheer. We all love it. This time of year, we're looking forward to it. We try to saturate ourselves with the good old holiday cheer. We want it to start as soon as possible. We argue about when that begins before or after Thanksgiving. We love that good old holiday cheer, right? Maybe, maybe not. (laughs) Setting you up. But it's that good old holiday cheer that we often think about when we hear this word peace. Talk a lot about it at Christmas. Peace. We sing of peace. These five words, or sorry, five letters are plastered all around town. But the question is, do we really experience peace at Christmas? Or is this just something that we talk about? Maybe you're like me, and maybe that good old holiday cheer is actually the thing that has you down. For many of us at Christmas time, that cheer is hard to come by, and it's anything but peaceful. In fact, this time of year often draws to the surface old scars, buried emotions, lifelong insecurities that no amount of cheer can cover over, can cover up. Maybe you're reminded of the tightness of your finances this time of year. Maybe you're reminded of a longing for family, a family of your own. Maybe you're reminded of a loved one that's no longer with you. So maybe this time of year is anything but cheerful. Maybe it's anything but full of peace. And what I hope that we see today, the passage that we'll be looking at, highlights the fact that Jesus himself was often misunderstood. His own disciples misunderstood him. The religious leaders misunderstood him. His own biological family misunderstood him. And we'll see today his forerunner, John the baptizer, misunderstood, at least 
part of who Jesus was. And I think in the same way, this thing that Jesus came to bring, peace, this thing we speak so much about at Christmas time, is often gravely misunderstood. So maybe you're not yet a Christian. I'm so glad that you're here considering the things of God and faith with us. And maybe you've never quite bought into this Christmas cheer that Christians seem to talk so much about. You say, it doesn't follow to me how a baby in a manger can bring real cheer or real hope or real peace. Maybe you've been a Christian at some point in your life or you've gone to church, but you walked away from the church because this peace that we talk about, these promises, they feel hollow. Maybe they just seemed from growing up like just words that people say and sing about, but there's nothing actionable about this peace. Or maybe you're a faithful follower of Jesus right now, and you just can't stand the cheerfulness of consumer Christianity and consumer Christmas. Well, if you're any of those, you're in luck. Because today, we'll see that the peace that Jesus actually brings is very, very different than that good old holiday cheer promised by St. Nick. Now, this is not to say that joy or cheer or happiness is unwarranted at this time of year. It's just to say that it's often misinspired. Hopefully, when you hear the word peace and you see what Jesus actually promises and what he actually brings, you'll see that it's so much more. And the joy that you have is inspired rightly and fully, and this cheer becomes what it's meant to be. So if you've got a Bible, would you grab it and turn with me to Matthew chapter 11? If you don't have a Bible, you can find one in one of the seat backs in front of you. You can also look it up on your phone. Just Google Matthew chapter 11. And we're going to be looking. Matthew is one of the four Gospels. The Gospels are uh, written to account for the life, the works, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. And this was written by Matthew, one of the 12 disciples who followed Jesus, learned from Jesus, and he would go on eventually to give his life for Jesus. Now as you're, as you're flipping there, as you're turning there, let me just tell you a little bit about this biblical idea of peace. And this idea of peace comes at the beginning, the middle, and the end of the Bible. Uh, and in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word where we get the word peace from is called shalom. And here's what the uh, Hebrew idea of shalom meant. Uh, think of all the people in the world, billions of people. Think of all the fruits and the vegetables and the trees and the animals, billions upon billions of individual pieces that make up our world. Now think of each of those things as a colored uh, thread. And these colored threads by themselves, billions and billions, that's hard to imagine, but just imagine that you can imagine all of the things that make up our world, individual threads, and they're just lying on a very big table scattered about. 
Now here's what shalom is. Here's what peace is. Shalom is that someone picks up all of that colored yarn and begins to weave it together into a perfect and beautiful tapestry. And everything has its place and everything fits together and what it becomes is something beautiful. That is the idea of shalom. And God is that grand weaver. This is what we think of and we talk about when we talk about peace. It's so much bigger than what we often think about this time of year. Now, here's the problem why peace can be so difficult to grasp. Why shalom, we don't always experience it. Think of just the human body. Just one human body and all the pieces that have to work together in order for it to function properly. And when you get sick or you get ill, and usually it's just one tiny piece that stops functioning as it's meant to function. And what? Everything else begins to unravel and fall apart. So, we're going to talk today about how Jesus comes, he arrives, and he begins to put that back together. Would you read with me in Matthew chapter 11, starting in verse 1. When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. When John, now here's who John is. John is the cousin of Jesus, and John had been uh, preaching and teaching repentance, saying the Messiah is coming, and he was preparing a path for him. Now, he was baptizing people in the River Jordan, baptizing them for the forgiveness of sin, and he said, but there's one who's coming who is greater than I. But he's still not sure if it's this Jesus. So the, this, is, this is what happens. Now when John heard in prison, now he, John has been imprisoned for some of the things that he was saying and teaching. When he heard about the deeds of, of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples. John had folks that were following him as well. And he sent word by his disciples and said to him, that's Jesus, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. Jesus had this way of not answering directly, but helping people to figure it out, to consider it on their own. Go tell John what you hear me, do, me, hear me saying and see me doing. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, Lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. John had uncertainty about who Jesus was. He had an idea. He thought he was the Christ, the Messiah which is the one 
whom God would send to bring peace and put everything back together. But he was unsure. And Jesus' response is, look at what I do. Now, Jesus is making a big distinction here. Um, because if you read on, what you'll see is he's, he'll say, John is the greatest prophet that has ever been born of a woman. He says that in the verses that follow. But a prophet, his primary role is to proclaim truth. It's all about a message. And so when Jesus says, tell, tell him what you hear and tell him what you see me doing, what he's saying is, remind him that I'm not just another prophet that there is action behind my peace. That I don't just proclaim peace, I bring physical, tangible peace into the world. So this idea of the Messiah, the Anointed One, is the one who can actually bring real peace. And Jesus is saying, look at what I do. I am the peacemaker. Now, I want you to look with me, if you want to flip with me, to Isaiah chapter 35. Jesus is also pointing to this prophecy about the Messiah. He's pointing to himself, saying, I was the one spoken of in, uh, by the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament. Isaiah 35. Um, I'll read it for you. Listen, 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 listen closely. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it. The majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make the firm and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are of an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame man shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For the waters break forth in the wilderness, the streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground spring, springs of water. You see how Jesus is pointing back to this and other prophecies about what will happen when the Messiah comes. That he will bring real peace. So when we see the miracles of Jesus... Oftentimes we say, well, what, what's the big idea? Why, why so much of the Gospels is about the miracles of Jesus? There's two things that Jesus is trying to accomplish by his miracles. The first thing is to bring real peace. So he cares about that. But here's what's interesting. He doesn't heal everyone. Because that's not what he's come to do in full at his first advent. 
The second reason is actually more important to this first advent, and that is he does miracles to prove that he is the Messiah predicted for thousands of years that will come. He is the Messiah come to put things back in place. So, the first advent, we see the arrival of the Messiah, which is the arrival of real peace. You say, well, that's great, but I don't need those things. And this is why it's so hard for us in America in 2016 with the abundance of wealth that most of us have to understand what Christmas is all about. Because for the most part, we're healthy. For the most part, we're wealthy. For the most part, we're full in every way as Americans. But Around the world, there's 975 million people who have a disability of some sort. 285 million people are legally blind. 360 million people have a disabling hearing loss. And so when they hear about this peace that Jesus brings, it's different to them. Because they need a healer because their body is not at peace. And just a little holiday cheer isn't going to fix their problems. In many parts of the world today, real civil war, real cross-border war is happening. And people are living in a real war. And they need a peacemaker. Not candy canes, not baby Jesus in a manger. Lucky for them and lucky for us, Jesus is no longer in the manger. He's no longer a baby. But he's full grown and he's got the power and ability to bring real peace. His first arrival, his first advent, it was the inbreaking of this kind of peace. This kind of tangible kingdom of heaven stuff that Jesus always talked about. This kingdom of peace. And we saw these first fruits as he went and healed the sick. The lame walked. The blind see. The deaf hear. The mute sing. We see the first fruits of this peace through the miracles, the works of Jesus. And at his second advent, his coming again, we will see the full breakthrough of this peace. A complete saturation of peace will fill all the earth. Amen? Now the intelligent person in the room is saying to himself or herself, now why this in-between time? Why didn't he just bring it all at his first advent? Right? That would seem like a better plan. Why didn't he do it? The answer is this. Love. Let me explain. You see, peace 
only comes on the heels of war. Do you realize that? Peace only comes on the heels of war. And so, for the love of those that are still at war with God, He waits to end the war. See that? Because He wants many more to repent, to turn, to flip sides, ask for forgiveness from God, fall on their knees before Jesus, and join Him before the war ends. Before peace arrives in full. He wants them to be on the right side. That's God's side in eternal history. And so he waits to end the war. He waits. Maybe some of you, he's waiting for you to turn and join him and stop fighting against him. He's waiting for you. He's allowing the world to be at part, out of step with who he is for you. Because he wants you side by side with the Prince of Peace for eternity. He doesn't want you on the other side of peace, which is judgment. This opposite side of peace is always judgment. Let me give you an example. Gardening. I'm an excellent gardener. Everybody knows that. Everybody's talking about that. If you've seen my house... Unbelievable. <laughs> Not so much. But when I do garden, I usually garden this way. I allow all sorts of things to grow in my yard for years and years. <laughs> we got the good plants and we got the weeds and they grow and I allow them to grow. I'm hoping they'll switch sides. But eventually, right, I've got to end the war. And I go and I enact judgment on my yard, and I go at it. You just get the headphones in, soft jazz, <laughs> just go to work, no. But I have to, to bring peace to my yard, I've got to judge all those aspects that are warring against peace. Now some of you might be living in a multiple roommate situation. I, I've done this many times in my life. This is very difficult. Thing. And everybody doesn't have the same cleanliness standards. This happens in marriage as well. But, and uh, when you live with multiple roommates, oftentimes you allow for the sake of cohabitation, for the relationship to not be ended, you allow all sorts of things to happen in the house in which you're living which you are not okay with. And there becomes a lack of peace in the cleanliness of your house, right? Now, you can do little parts of picking up, cleaning, creating at least enough peace so that you can live. But there always comes a time, my friends, when the only way to bring true peace is to kick that roommate out the house. It's time, bro. You've got to go. You can't leave banana peels 
in the bathroom garbage. That is disgusting. So, to bring full peace, (laughs) judgment must come and removal must happen. If you are that roommate, there is hope. Repent. Turn from your ways. Look up some YouTube videos on proper etiquette for cohabitation amongst multiple roommates. And you too can live peacefully with many people for long periods of time. But there comes a time, right, in many things in life where we must judge things in order to create peace. They're opposite sides of the same coin. So you see, No peace, no full peace without judgment. And so when Jesus comes, He wars against those things that that are the opposite of peace. Uh, Some of you may have heard evil talked about this way. Evil is not a thing in and of itself. It's the absence of good. You heard that? You can think of uh, war and peace in the same way. War is not a thing necessarily in and of itself, but it's the absence of peace. And so this vital connection between war and peace is so critical to debunking this false idea we have of the peace that Jesus brings. It's not sentimental. It's not just happiness. It's not a big smile. It's something so much different. So turn, if, if you get, hopefully you still got your finger there, to Isaiah 35. If not, I forgot to leave my finger there. I want to just show you something in the text that reminds us of this. Even the prophecy of the coming Prince of Peace says this in verse 4. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Why? Because... Your God will come with vengeance and with recompense. He will come to save you. You see, it's not just about bringing sight to the blind, words to the mute, ears to the deaf. It's about bringing the full judgment of God. And Jesus will come And he will do that in full one day. But it must come. Peace only comes on the heels of judgment. And so, in part, he's waiting to bring that because he wants many to turn to him. Now, let me show you how this works in every aspect of life. To show how peace is a holistic understanding, not just an emotional understanding. The body can be out of peace. So, uh, someone who is blind, someone who is lame and cannot walk, they have a lack of peace. So we could say their body is warring against them and God wars against it. Jesus brings peace. This is physical peace. He is the healer. And the result will be, when He comes again, a new body, a fully transformed and fixed physicality. This is a great promise. It's a promise of peace. 
But it's not just the body, the mind. The mind can lack peace. The mind can war against God's good plan. This can play itself out in ignorance, real psychological disorders, confusion even. And Jesus brings with Him when He comes peace. And this is an intellectual, this is a psychological peace. Because Jesus is the Logos, which means the logic of God. John 1, the Logos, the Word, came in the flesh. And so He puts that right. He renews the mind. He brings understanding where there is confusion. He wars against a lack of peace in the mind. Now, not just the body, not just the mind, but the heart. And the heart can war against God's good plan for you and I. This can play itself out in things like depression and sadness, hopelessness. And Jesus comes and He brings real peace. Emotional peace. Because He's the great comforter. And He comforts us. Comforts our heart. And He calms the restlessness of our emotion. So it's not just the body. It's not just the mind. It's not just the heart. It's also the soul. And the soul can war against God's good plan. And this plays itself out in sinfulness, separation from God, spiritual anxiety, and Jesus comes to bring peace to the soul. This is a spiritual peace because He's our Redeemer. He makes the soul alive to God again. But to do that, he has to war against sin. He can't just come alongside it and help us to be okay in the midst of it. That's a false understanding of the peace that Jesus brings. He must destroy it in us. See that? And so that's what he's doing. Maybe you feel him pressing in on that. You don't like it. So you remove yourself from him, but he's trying to bring you peace as he wars against those parts of you that are rebelling against God. And it's not just the mind, and it's not just the body, and it's not just the heart, and it's not just the soul, it's culture, and it's people groups, and he's bringing it all together, piece upon piece upon peace. And each of these things that Jesus promises to bring and has shown that He can and does bring occur now in part and will occur later in whole. Now in part and later in whole. Um, My wife, Allie, tells a story of when she was on a mission trip in Africa. And she got to know this little girl quite well. Her name was Amina. And Amina um, had not spoken for years and years and years. And they prayed for her. And then one day, after praying for her, 
she spoke. There was a miracle. This girl who was mute now could speak. So it happens now, but only in part. There are still people who might live their whole life not being able to speak or being able to see. It doesn't mean that God does not care. It means that He's waiting. And He will bring, and He proves that He still brings peace in part. I'm just tell you a story from my own life about how I see this peace. This is a much uh, less extreme example, um, but believe nonetheless that it's true and worthy of sharing for the glory of God. Um, my whole life I've struggled uh, with stomach issues, and um, when I was uh, in elementary school, it created a lot of anxiety for me, a lot of trouble. Often when I'd take tests, um, it would flare up. When I had to give public speaking presentations, it would flare up. Uh, in high school, I had to stop taking the ACT because uh, my stomach was warring against me. I had a lack of peace in uh, my bowels. They called this, and I was diagnosed with IBS. <laughs> too much information. But I had it, okay? It's a real thing. I had a lack of peace. And honestly, when God called me, and I felt like he was calling me to be a preacher, which you might have figured out by now, a lot of my job is standing up in front of people, speaking, completely exposed, all the elements that would in the past have riled up this lack of peace in my innards. Um, he's calling to me. I wondered, what is he doing? This is the worst thing for somebody with my ailment to have. Not once have I stood up and proclaimed the word of God and ever struggled with my IBS. I believe it's God working in me to bring real peace. Praise be to God. Praise be to God. He works real peace in part now. Now, it's not always good. <laughs> Just when I'm standing right here. Praise be to God. He brings real peace even now, but he will bring full peace when he comes again. So, if you haven't figured it out yet, I think that far too often we isolate the peace of God to the comfort he gives us to cope with the things in our mind, body, heart and soul that war within us. That's how we tend to think of the peace of God. We isolate. Now, he does this. He gives us peace to cope with the things that we're going through, but that's not all he does. And so in, in American Christianity, we tend to isolate it to this. And so it becomes, it morphs into this thing we often call holiday cheer around these, uh, this season, and then what happens is our encouragement to our brothers and sisters in Christ when they're going through something tends to be, or at least implicitly tends to be, just cheer up. Just cheer up. It's Christmas. Jesus. And it becomes this very Pollyanna type of Christianity, and we fail to lament the true lack of peace in people's lives. 
We tend to do this in our families, with our kids. We say, press pause on all your troubles until after the holiday break. And then we can start talking about them again. It's Christmas. Let's pretend that that's not happening. Have you, have you, have you had this experience? And the thing didn't go away because it's Christmas. It's still there. And it's still lamentable. And we don't turn it off for this season, but we enter into it with those that we love and we say... There is real peace. But we stop believing. And so we pretend and we say, cheer up. Peace is not a feeling, though it can play out in feeling. Peace is a reality. Let me say that again. Peace is not a feeling, peace is a reality. Jesus didn't come, and he's not coming again to bring a feeling. He's coming to bring a reality. And so what we do, and, and, and what we do at this time of year, is we cry out, come, Lord Jesus, come. Come. You are the only thing that can bring peace. Come, Lord Jesus, Come again. We long for it. Do you long for Jesus to come again? Or maybe, maybe you think, my life's pretty good now. Just hold off a little bit longer. Don't come. It's because you don't understand what a lack of peace is for most people in the world. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Come in the small Partial ways that you come and come in the full way. We long for that. We pray for that. In your perfect, sovereign timing and will. Come, Lord Jesus, come. And so as he comes, we pray that he comes in, in, in supernatural ways, miraculous ways, and we pray that he comes in what I call semi-supernatural ways. I say semi-supernatural because I'm about to name some ways that you say, well, those seem very natural ways because they're just what normal people do. Yes, but as the people of God, and all people for that matter, we are sustained and held up by the power of Christ. And so it's always semi-supernatural. Um, these could be things like modern medicine. We have many nurses and doctors in the room. Jesus can come in semi-supernatural ways through healing of modern medicine, through modern education. Come, Lord Jesus, come and use education to bring hope and meaning to people's lives. Come, Lord Jesus, come through modern science, through technology, through agricultural innovation, through Facebook internet planes that fly over countries without access to the simple things that we take for granted. Semi-supernatural peace brought by God. And then, of course, come, Jesus, through the church, through men and women that love on one another, love on God's people, just like we see in Acts chapter 2. They come... In Acts chapter 2, we see they share everything that they had. They sell property and 
pool their money so that no one is in need. That's the peace of Jesus coming in real ways through the church. Through holiday heroes. That is the peace of Christ coming in small ways even now. Come, Lord Jesus, come. So the sentimentality of Christmas, this American idea of peace, leads us to a a grave misunderstanding of who Jesus was and what He's promising to bring. Please, let us not just pretend once a year that all is well. Slap a Santa suit on it. Jingle some bells and pretend. Let's not do that. The world is broken People are broken. There's a lack of peace in every possible way, even in this room. And Jesus and his followers shouldn't just put lipstick on a pig. We should actually work, empowered by the Spirit, to bring real peace, real solution to real problems. And so while it's vogue to sort of, and it seems every year it gets this way, and I'm starting to sound like an old, old preacher man, to remove Christ from Christmas. So vogue, friends, you can't do it because he's the only one that can bring real peace. And he proves it, and he says, this is who I am. Watch what I'm doing. I'm bringing real peace. And so if we remove him, We remove real peace. And the lame won't walk, and the blind won't see, and the deaf won't hear, and the sick will never be healed, and the billions of people that are currently alive today, sooner or later, will die and be buried or be cremated, and they'll have no hope of rising again. Unless Jesus comes. He's our only hope of real peace. Now, I know some of us at this point are thinking, and it's, it's very natural to think this way. I've thought this same thought. So yeah, we're waiting on the return in the sky of this dude who lived 2,000 years ago to come back and fix all of our problems. That's just hard for me to buy. That's okay. We've all been there. But here's what Jesus always does. This is what he did to John's disciples. When John was a little confused about why Jesus wasn't fixing everything at once, why he wasn't taking political authority, why he wasn't kicking out the Romans, why he wasn't freeing John from prison. It can be confusing, and Jesus always does this when we're confused. He says, it's your decision. You decide who I am. But he doesn't just leave it there. He says, this is the way you decide. Look at what I've done. Look at what I'm doing. Look at the real change that's happening that's all associated with me. 
And what he's saying is, immerse yourself in my story. Get as close to me as you can to see what I'm really like and what power I really have. Immerse yourself in the story of Jesus. And then you be the judge. Who do you say Jesus is? And so often, we never do that. We never get immersed in the story of Jesus. And so very often, we don't see the peace that he's actually bringing. And we judge incorrectly. If you're still making a decision about who Jesus is, get as close to him as you can. Immerse yourself in the story. Read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Immerse yourself in his story. See who he is and then ask the question, is he the Messiah? Is he the Prince of Peace? Is he the one that's been promised? Is he somebody different that can change war into real peace? And if you get to the point where you realize maybe you've judged him wrong and he is the promised Christ, he is the Savior, he is the peacemaker, then what you do is you lay down all other modes of peace that you've used in the past. Whatever that is, drugs, alcohol, sex, relationships, education, Anything that for you, you've lent, lent, lent on for your peace, whatever it is, you give that up and you lean on Jesus for peace. And you say, Lord Jesus, I want to follow you and I want the peace that you give. Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you that you do not leave us without peace. That you sent your son Jesus into the world over 2,000 years ago to come near to us, to lay the hands of God on real people living in real space, time, world, and you showed what the peace of God does. And then we thank you that you went to the cross and you took care of that other thing that keeps us from peace, our sin. And you took upon us the wrath that was due to all ungodliness. And that now through the cross of Christ, through the resurrection from the dead, when we're attached, connected to Jesus, we too can have peace in every possible way. Real, lasting peace. We pray that for this community, for friends and family at this time of year, that your peace would somehow filter its way through us to them and that they might know that you are the bringer of peace. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.